Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, it's Phil Mackey. We're talking Minnesota sports five days a week on Mackey and Jeb with Rami. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Score North app, or anywhere else you find podcasts. If you're tight on time today and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. Alright, welcome back. It is Mackey and Jeb with Rami on Score North and the Score North mobile app. Uh, by the way, on the website, scorenorth.com, you can find all kinds of coverage off of yesterday's improbable Vikings comeback. 20 to nothing at halftime, and it's the biggest comeback in uh, the last 27 years for the Minnesota Vikings. And on the field afterward, interviewing Stefan Diggs and uh, and taking it in for NFL Network was our friend Tom Pelissero. It's 5 o'clock every Monday, meeting Tom Pelissero's NFL Insights. So what, from your vantage point, as the Vikings continue to chip away in the second half against the Broncos and then culminating with, uh, with your on-field discussion with Stefan Diggs, what were your observations, Tom? I mean, if Andrew Sandejo doesn't pick off that ball before halftime, I'm not sure that comeback happens. I mean, you that that might be, and I, I talked to a bunch of players and others from the team after the game about this, that might be the NFL record for most things you can do wrong in an NFL game and still win an NFL game. I mean, just on special teams, they fumble the kickoff, they muff two punts, they take a penalty where they jump offside and give the other team a first down, uh, they had a bunch of penalties, you know, on on defense as well. They jumped outside once there, uh, something that was significant. Obviously, you had just coverage breakdowns in the early going, and offensively, they could not generate anything in the first half. I mean, you could see the frustration from Diggs and others. And I don't know if it was shown on the broadcast, but when when Cousins had the free play and checked it to the back, <laughs> Diggs was waving his arms over there because he's one on one. He's got a step. Uh, you you could sense it absolutely, and you know, talking to Diggs on the field after the game, he was hoarse. I'm not sure how much of that was from the yelling he did during the game, or the yelling he was doing when they were coming back. Because once he caught that touchdown, he was uh, he was pretty jacked up. But you know what? In the end, for the Vikings, there was always going to be that risk that this would be a letdown type of game, a trap type of game. They, they sure looked like it in the first half, but to come back, win that, and now be eight and three with three of your last five at home against the NFC North there. They're sitting pretty. They just got a lot to clean up. So, Tom, how should Vikings fans feel about that game? Because, to your point, that first half was brutal, off the charts, bad. But but then they come back in the second half, and Cousins plays well, and the play calling and schematics, obviously, in the final two quarters, made perfect sense. If you're a Vikings fan, how do you sort of go about weighing what you saw in the first half versus the second and come out with with an opinion that is either really positive or sort of like, yeah, we got by, but barely? Well, one positive is just that they were able to adjust. They they did some things differently in the second half on both sides of the ball. 
uh, and obviously made plays in a situation where, you know, bad teams are going to tank out there and not be able to come back. The Vikings found at least a way uh, to be able to claw their way back in. You know, it still took that goal line stand there, uh, the three straight yeah. plays. I don't know about everybody else, but I was I was walking onto the field after the game looking across at the far corner of the field at the officials because they didn't leave for a little bit, uh, you know, for a solid minute after the game thinking, are they now going to have a flag thrown from New York for pass interference? Because you can see Noah Fant's jersey getting stretched on that final play. Uh, it obviously didn't happen, but it, it took all that, you know, for them to be able just to, to survive that game. You have to give credit to Vic Fangio and, and Rich Gangarello, who's the Broncos, uh, you know, offensive coordinator, his first job calling plays. They had a heck of a game plan. I mean, they were, you could tell from go, they were going to attack. They were going to push the ball down the field. They were going to test the Vikings secondary where you had Sandejo making the start in place of Anthony Harris. You had, you know, they've obviously, you know, struggled to cover last week. You know, between Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant, they ran that play where Sutton threw the ball to Tim Patrick. I mean, they, they pulled out all the stops and they hit on a lot of them. That's what it was going to take to beat the Vikings was chunk yardage plays. And, you know, to the Vikings defense's credit, they limited those in the second half while the offense was doing its part to get them back in the game. It's, it's evident, though, that that secondary, especially the cornerback position, is still very much a concern for, for the Vikings and Vikings fans at this point, right, Tom? Well, you know, Xavier Rhodes is up and down. That, that's the biggest thing. He, he still can play. It's just a matter of any, you know, that matchup, too, you know, against a guy like Cortland Sutton, that should be where Rhodes is kind of at his best, where it's not a pure speed guy. It's a bigger receiver who you hope he can get his hands on and, and give him some trouble. I, I didn't think that they were, you know, terrible in that game yesterday. It was just a matter of, you know, being able to plug some of the leaks that they had. It's not like the pass rush was killing Brandon Allen in the first half either. you got a young quarterback who's using silent cadence under center, uh, and he's got time to throw. That's that's not a, a great recipe. Again, I think they had a, a good plan on the other side. Um, in two straight weeks now, you've seen you know teams have some success throwing the football on the Vikings, absolutely in the big picture, knowing what they got in the, you know after the bye here. They have to face Russell Wilson. They have to face uh, Aaron Rodgers. They have to face the Lions, although you may not have uh, Matthew Stafford. That's some teams that can uh, sling the football around. And yeah, the the Russian the the coverage and the rush have to fit together, and they got to do certainly the coverage part better. Tom Pilicero's NFL insights here on Mackie and Jeb with Rami Score North Score North app and ScoreNorth.com. So that was the first come from behind fourth quarter victory in Kirk Cousins' Vikings career. He had to come from behind tie against the Packers last year. But when you start to add up the things that Cousins has done since that Chicago game, uh, you're, you're, you've got a couple wins against quality opponents in there, you've got a primetime win against Dallas, and now you have a, uh, a 20 nothing deficit overcome and a big fourth-quarter comeback, and that was, that was all him in the second half. Uh, Stefan Diggs also with a couple big plays. But what, what, what has he shown you, I guess, and what has he shown uh, others around the league just in these last two weeks, Tom? You're talking about Cousins? Yes. Well, I mean, I think that he's he's the same Kirk Cousins that we've seen. I, I think that there's a you know kind of a micro focus on him, um, you know, relative to how he plays in certain situations. Now, the one throw that stands out to me, and this was probably a forgotten play uh, in that game, but when Cousins stands in on it was like third and fourteen, and he has uh, Tyler Conklin, uh, I believe it is number eighty three coming across a crossing route he also has the back in the flat if you were playing scared at that point or just playing like you know the stuff that Cousins always gets criticized for not taking chances you're kind of to the back hoping he can break a tackle you're getting six yards you're getting booed off the field 
he rears back and he fires that thing in there into a, a decently small window. That ended up being a, a big play for them. I mean, throws like that, uh, the way that Cousins can stand in there and do that, he's, he's capable of that. That's what we've seen. Uh, the fact that he has done that and consistently made enough plays. You know, it's like I talked to Diggs on Friday about a whole bunch of stuff, but he was you know, talking about Cousins and you know, basically what he said was, you know, it's proven the doubters wrong. That, that's going to be a week-to-week thing. We, we've seen Kirk play really good football. Dalvin Cook told me, you know, he's not a wow quarterback. He's just a guy who puts you in position to win games. I mean, he's never going to be a Russell Wilson type of highlight machine, but he's he's going to make enough plays for you to win. The Vikings just, they're always going to be a team that needs to run the football and play good defense. They weren't doing either of those things in the first half. Cousins could have played better too, but you know, it's dangerous to start just going, well, if the Vikings win, Cousins played well. If they lost, he played poorly. Maybe this is just what he is. He's a pretty darn good quarterback who needs help around him in order to uh, to keep winning the NFL. Tom, explain to me, why, with no timeouts left and the clock winding down and 10 seconds left, Zim would call a timeout, which to me seemingly gave Denver at least one, if not two more plays there. And the key thing there was the Broncos offense, I don't know if they weren't aware that they were out of timeouts or what, but they weren't exactly operating at a high efficiency. And I know that Mike said he basically didn't like the look or potentially what he saw. But that being said, that to me was a very curious and could have been costly decision by the Vikings coach. Well, you're not the only one who was asking that question, for sure, especially with how everything played out there. And it was tough to tell because they were in, you know, a a semi-hurry-up type of situation. So, yeah, it was unusual. I mean, the best thing you can say for that decision is it didn't end up costing them uh, the game. You know, what you're trying to avoid in that situation is the big play. And if he saw something that suggested that the Broncos had a chance uh, to make a big play down the field, that's tough to blame them. Tom Pelissero of NFL Network providing his NFL insights as he does every Monday at this time on Mackey and Judd with Rami. What did you make of what transpired on the Bears' sideline last night in Los Angeles with Mitchell Trubisky getting benched or being injured in, in the final two minutes? A lot of people not buying that there was an injury because he wasn't on the injury report coming into the game, at least not with the hip, and no doctors or anybody seemingly talked to him on the sidelines before Matt Nagy made the choice to pull him out. What was your take on this whole thing? Well, I was only catching bits and pieces because I was on a plane to Pittsburgh where I am now. But you know, certainly to look at Nagy's explanation after the game and then again today, it sounds like he, he took a shot on the hip in the second quarter on a sack. That's where it came from. It wasn't a existing injury. Now, in terms of you know interaction on the sideline and all of that, um, you know, that's going to be tough to read into, especially because it's a hip. It's not like we're saying he broke his wrist and nobody noticed. The hip can just be, you know, you're, you're feeling something in there. There's not a whole lot that you're going to necessarily be doing on the sideline. You know, Trubisky is another guy who's got a, a target on his back all the time. To this point, the Bears have not shown any desire or urge to, um, you know, to move on to Chase Daniel, and, and you get that. I mean, they drafted him number two overall a few years ago. They traded up to get him. Chase Daniel is, is what he is. He's a career backup uh, type of quarterback in the NFL, albeit one who has played decently in spots and made himself a uh, you know a whole lot of money. Uh, but they've they've seen Trubisky play good football. They're trying to get back to that, and for whatever reason, the Bears have just not been able to capture what they were a year ago. I mean, they have tried a lot of things. They have shuffled the offensive line. They've of course you know gotten some guys back healthy. They haven't been able to run the football. They didn't have David Montgomery last night. I'm sure that didn't help them either. But yeah, I mean that's. You know, add Trubisky and the Bears to one of those many quarterback situations we're going to talk about in the offseason. It seems like half the league 
uh, has uncertainty at that position. They continue to say Trubisky's their guy. You watch teammates and the way that they interact with him. Uh, you can see that there's a buy-in there that he hasn't, you know, he hasn't lost the locker room at this point. But at some point, if you don't have more productivity on offense, there's no other position where a change is going to create a sea change for how you're playing. And so, like anybody else, he's he's going to put himself in a position where if it's not working, uh, they may you know feel like they've got no choice. Rami, as Sam Cook once said, a change is going to come. A change is going to come. Thank you, Phil. It's going to be okay for you guys. Thanks, Phil. Yep, this offseason. I'm not so sure. Yeah. I think this might be a disaster. <laughs> Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. You're in Pittsburgh right now. Where can people find you on NFL Network tonight and uh, and, and the rest of the week? Well, I'm going to be underground the next couple of days. Top secret project oh. uh, that you'll see more from by the end of the week. Uh, and then I will be back on Steelers duty Sunday in Cincinnati. Two trips to see the wing- winless Bengals. In a single month. Wow. That is, lucky, uh, lucky guy. What'd you do wrong? <laughs> Who's mad at you? <laughs> I, I literally sent that text to somebody when they told me what game I had. I was just like, did I did I upset someone? Who is it? How do I? <laughs> Tom, you're not <laughs> fired. You're not you're not <laughs> fired, but you're covering the Bengals now. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> hey, I, I'll say this. I'm not, I'm not making fun of the Bengals. There's a lot of good people there. I really like that locker room. They got just good dudes in that locker room. Um, but, yes, that's... Uh, they're fighting for their lives, man, over there. So we'll see what the and the Steelers are still in the playoff picture despite everything that's happened. It'll be interesting. Yep. That is Tom Pelissero's NFL Insights every single Monday at 5 o'clock. We'll talk again next week, all right? Thanks, Phil. All right. And you can follow Tom Pelissero on Twitter, too, just at Tom Pelissero. And we're going to keep it right here. And if you're wondering, oh, this uh, Mackie and Joe with Rami sounds a little bit different. Starting today, we're giving you on Purple Daily and Mackie and Joe with Rami, we're giving you 25 minutes of talk twice an hour. And uh, we're doing that from 2 o'clock all the way through the end of Mackie and Jeb with Rami here, for sure throughout the duration of football. So you're never going to be without 25 minutes of purple between 2 and 4 with Matthew Collar and his contributors. And you're never going to be without 25 minutes of chain restaurant hot takes and whatever else we dive into here on Mackie and Jeb with Rami. Uh, The other thing that happened football-related this weekend is something we haven't talked about yet on the show today. You know, I told our team I'd take 100% full responsibility of this loss. And I know there's a lot of plays, however many plays we played, but the head coach always looks at how you can help your team win and how you can help your team lose. But I said I'd do it all over again. Uh, I was told I ran on the field too fast. I get that, but I didn't know when there's a red light and a green light to tell us when we can go on the field. The whistle blew, the play's over. My player's laying motionless on the ground. We as coaches get criticized when we don't. We don't show enough of compassion to somebody that's hurt. The play was over, motionless player on the ground, and I run on the field to go make sure my player is okay, one, and then two, to make sure that he can't stay in the game. So that was just one of many things, the 15-yard penalty that P.J. Fleck took for running out on the field to check on wide receiver uh, Tyler Johnson. One of many things you could point to in the game that the Gophers would like to do differently. And so let's tee Judd up here, Rami Makhlouf, for his patented pie chart of blame for the Gophers lost against Iowa on Saturday. How many pieces of pie, Judd Zolget, are you slicing? I'm slicing four pieces of pie. I'm slicing four pieces of pie, and I might be making a mistake because I'm not slicing a defensive one. But I found four areas. No pie for the defense. I didn't. No, I didn't give. And and I'm not saying I'm right there. I might be wrong there. But I'm slicing this into four slices. Now, do you want me to start from the biggest slice or the smallest slice? I think the smallest slice. Yeah, start smallest slice. Let's work our way. This is tough to do, but this play was absolutely crucial. And this kid, one can catch this ball, and two ordinarily does. Tyler Johnson, 10%, which I consider a small slice, but but the play that Fleck is getting is talking about that he got blown up on, 
before he got blown up was a catchable ball. Tanner Morgan threw a nice ball. If that's completed, this is a tight game. It's different. So that that's a pass that Tyler Johnson, it feels like, dropped quite a bit in 2018. But between he and Bateman until, until Saturday, Saturday, they hadn't dropped passes. Now, Bateman had a key drop as well. So perhaps I should just give them each 5%. Hey, before you move on to the other chunks of pie here, what I don't understand about that sequence, because it wound up being offsetting 15-yard penalties. Yes. So they said... The first penalty, because so the reason why PJ Flex fifteen yard penalty actually wasn't as big of a deal, right, is because it had been ruled that the original penalty for Iowa was after the play was over. Yep, they flagged Iowa fifteen yards for unsportsmanlike conduct. Correct. But if the, if that flag and so basically everything that was flagged was after the possession had changed, and so it really it came down to. Would Iowa have started a little bit closer to their own goal line? It was a field position thing. That, they would have because started at the, the seven instead of the, I think the, the 22. penalty on Iowa would have taken them halfway to the goal line. But why was that? If it's a late hit, why would it be after the play? If it's a late hit, it should have been a fifteen yard penalty or half the distance to the go for the Gophers and a first down. Because did they screw that up? No, no, no. In in college, at least the explanation that they gave a few times was because he dropped the ball, so the play is dead, and then he gets hit. It's not part of the play. Hmm. So if he gets hit as part of the play, first down gophers. But because he got hit after the ball had hit the ground and the play was technically dead, the explanation, I'm not saying because I didn't know this going into Saturday, the explanation given on TV and that I saw was the play is killed. It's a penalty, but it's after the fact. Are you asking why they weren't offsetting penalties and they didn't replay the down? No, I, I'm asking why. If I, I'm asking why the the first penalty, which sort of triggered the chain of events, yeah, the, why the first penalty wasn't part of the play, the fourth down play. So, like, if I if I face mask you, that's part of, it's, right. it's part of the play. It's it's a 15 yard penalty. But if I hit you late, they're saying it's not part of the play. Correct. It was. After the play, and it was fourth down, so that means it's after a fourth down play and a change of possession. Oh, so they don't get to replay the down, right? right. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, that if, seems if, weird. If, if it was an on the play situation, and PJ flex penalty, then negated that fifteen yard penalty by Iowa, then they would have just replayed fourth down, and right. the Gophers would have had a second chance to score, right? Or if he just doesn't walk on the field in the first place, right? But and I did think he ran onto the field aggressively, and yeah. I, I believe the explanation that he gave after the game that we just heard there. But if I'm a referee, that's how I read it: that this is a pissed off coach running onto the field and getting in the middle of what's already kind of a chaotic situation. Because there was yeah. there were Minnesota players not happy with the hit, and there was just a little bit of pushing and shoving and interaction between the two teams. And it looked at the moment to me like PJ Fleck was running in to get in the middle of all that, and you have to call a penalty. And you know what? If you're a referee in that situation, and I don't disagree. I think if if you're a ref, I, I don't think you can leave it to the refs to wonder why you're running on the field in that spot. So I, I and I, but I also hear PJ say. So my initial thought, having just watched every game he's coached so far, and just like I, I'm a PJ Fleck guy, having studied PJ Fleck apparently, um, I my initial thought was. Oh, wide receiver got his bell rung. He always runs on the field when guys are hurt. He's running on the field to go see if Johnson's okay. And I take him at his word for it, but also, I don't know. I feel like that's just such a big spot, and there's already flags on the field. And by the way, 
Earlier in that, P.J. Fleck needs to chill the hell out because he very easily could have gotten a, a personal foul earlier in the first half when he shoved a referee. Did you see that? Yeah, no. I did. He shoved a referee. Off a spot, right? Yeah. He didn't like and a it, spot. And it looked like a... He grabbed him. It looked like a, like the referee told him something, and he was like, all right, go you know, go, go take care of that. But it shoved a referee in the shoulder right. earlier in the half. P.J. Yeah. Fleck, like, I get it, dude. You're amped up. You're high energy. The kids respond to that. I'm not asking him to change, but dude, you need to chill the hell out a little bit before you start costing your team 15 yards here and there. And you, you also can't preach to your players to be smart right. and then do that. Right. Like that doesn't work. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. All right, Judd. You, you got 10, 10% <laughs> right. to. 10%. I hate to do this, and I'm going to generalize here, but <sighs> poor freshman kicker, I believe, Brock Walker. And the kicking game get twenty percent. You're giving that kid. I, I would put that on PJ Fleck. Okay. Why are you having somebody, that kid kick a fifty? And I love PJ no, Fleck but, again. But why are you having that kid kick that, a fifty yard field goal? But, but the, the field goal that they kicked at the end of the first half, doinked in barely. Yeah, he made it. He missed yeah, the he extra point. Twenty percent. I'm giving him twenty percent. Twenty five percent. The run game. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. I was really good, but to be efficient for this team, yeah, the pass is great, but the run game sort of has to work. Yeah, it didn't work. So 25% falls on, on the fact that Iowa definitely one-upped you in the run game. And that leaves 45% for what Rami brought up, P.J. Fleck and coaching. And I can go through a list here quickly. Yeah, of, I've, of I've got things on mine, too. That I, I wrote on scorenorth.com on Saturday immediately after the game. And it goes well beyond going onto the field, which, I, which, yes, it didn't cost the Gophers directly at that moment. It did cost them field position. But to me, just lacked a certain discipline that a coach has to have. The decision to kick the field goal that I'm talking about near the end of the first half. You're down by 17. You're at the two-yard line, okay? You're you're off your offense is still really good. Go for the go for it. Oh, so you're okay, so I'm you're saying, saying with go, four with four seconds yes, left, you're going at the for two it. Yard, I'm going for it. Whew. I'm getting the touchdown. I'm going, I'm saying because one, the kicker barely made that. So you're not ultimately confident. I would. It's but, a freshman. I think, but I think that conversation. So I, I would have kicked the field goal, but so I think the conversation has to start with it's a guaranteed make, and he made it. it he made, <laughs> but it. it wasn't a guaranteed make. He, but he it should be it. a guaranteed make. So I think you're yeah. making the decision based on guaranteed make or I'm pounding the rock in. Here's my question: Can you? Because there's four seconds left. Can you run a play? Yep. And still leave one second left if you'd miss it. Can you run a quick? Slant or something. Well, sure, because I would have. My thought was try to run a play that takes three seconds. But then again, you're dealing with an Iowa clock operator too, and they probably let it run Are you down. There's shenanigans for sure in college stadiums. <laughs> for sure, that that on the list of things that PJ Fleck could have done differently, that wasn't quite high on my list. But All keep right, going down by ten points with three thirty left in the final quarter when the play clock runs too far down and they burn what is a precious timeout. That's a huge one. That leaves you with only one touch to or only one t- timeout left. Rodney Smith then scores on a one yard run. That's when Brock Walker then comes on. The poor kid misses the extra point, but that burning of a time that can't happen that, again. Discipline that is that's something, Rami. I've spent years talking about this type of stuff. Like I am not qualified to coach football. I mm-hmm. quit football because there was too much running in eighth grade. He played okay? Madden. He is qualified, but too I much played running. It wasn't even like the hitting. It was the running, yeah. Really? Yeah. Tough little guy. Just a lot there. of running. Just Why didn't, not a cardio guy. <laughs> Why didn't you just play O-line or D-line? They never make those guys run. No, they made us run. Did I, they really? I played some like tight end and O-line. It was The bad. only running I did as, as a lineman was just warm-ups. 
Yeah. Like, just get warmed up, guys. Go jog around the field. And then yeah. it was like move heavy objects. So hit I, people, lift I, weights. I, I was at the wrong school. I wasn't moving heavy <laughs> objects. Those are transferred. I wasn't doing the cardio. But you know what? I was playing football video games for 15 years. Yep. And I can tell you, in that spot, when you're losing and it's late and you're not guaranteed to get the ball back with a lot of time left on the clock, the timeout and the 40 seconds you save is way more important than the five yards from the one to the five. And that bothered me because it set them up when they, so now two and a half minutes to go, they burn a timeout because they can't get a play call in, right? I would have taken the five yards. And he, by the way, he brought this up and said, I'd rather take the timeout than the five yards. It's the other way around for me because you can still score pretty easily from the five yard line. And even if you don't, like you, st- it's equally important to leave time on the clock and have timeouts. Like you need those things just as much as you need a touchdown if you want to win the game. So what happens is they have one timeout left now, two and a half minutes, and and they feel like they're forced to have to kick an onside kick, thus give up like thirty or forty yards in field position, or maybe thirty yards. So if they if they save the timeout and they still score from the five yard line, they probably can kick off. And well, that, yeah, that's another great point though, because it also the onside kick with three twenty six left bugged me too. Kick off. But they're more likely to kick off if they have the second sure, time out. That's a great point. So it's all a chain. But the of, whole, but the whole thing, all of that bugged me. Yes, like coaching wise, PJ Fleck has a lot of amazing qualities as a coach, and he's built this thing up. And we're this is some tough love, so they can go win the next two games. In my mind, anyways. But <laughs> Judd doesn't care about that. But, <laughs> but oh, that Wisconsin looks gonna be fun. It is. But do we have a luxury suite for that again? Maybe we can finagle one. We'll sure. see. Well, good luck with that. But <laughs> they want the Penn State suite back, and I don't blame them. But flex timeout usage is like like you need go watch a Patriots game. They don't they don't take timeouts un, unless it's like strategically to preserve time late in the game. Yes, that's what timeouts are are for. Not because you can't get a play call exactly. in, because you, like you need Plan B for that stuff. You're right. Anyways, agree. Is that your list? Yep. That's yeah. that's my list. Hey, while so. we're on the subject of pie, did you guys see? You know these maps that end up on Twitter sometimes? It's hard to tell which ones are real and which ones are are just to troll us. Yeah. And they show, like, what's popular in this region and what's popular in that region. There's one going around Twitter today about your favorite Thanksgiving Day pie. And across the upper Midwest. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. Across the upper Midwest, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. They are claiming, and this could be totally made up, just to troll and get the type of reaction they're getting from me right now. That coconut cream pie is the favorite Thanksgiving Day pie? In Minnesota? Minnesota, the no. Dakotas, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Pecan is in the mix. For the Pumpkin's record, in the mix. I love coconut cream pie. Absolutely love it. I enjoy it, too, but it's not. It's a niche pie. Yeah. It's a niche it's pie. It's a niche pie at best. For especially hockey, right? not on Thanksgiving. It's a niche pie. It's not in What'd season. <laughs> it's hockey, basically. Yeah, it's a hockey. It's hockey. It's yeah. the hockey of pies. <laughs> I would say it's more like the lacrosse of pie. And this has got to be made up because in none idea. of the regions, <laughs> in none of the regions, are they saying apple or pumpkin? Apple overrated massively. What? And pumpkins also. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, no, no, no. Judd, apple, apple pie stop. is indigestion on a plate. Sure, indigestion. This is as, opposed, as opposed to all the other things you just ate on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, I'm telling you, apple pie. How do you know the apple pie did it? The apple pie always does it. The apple pie is indigestion on a plate. I get indigestion every time I eat apple pie. Large sample size. I know. I feel like you have to isolate the apple pie from like the greasy uh, like patty melt that you probably had no, five minutes before. No, it's not a greasy patty melt. No, 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 no. It is apple pie and pumpkin pie overrated. I, I think we need. Pie. I, I think we need apple to, pie. We wow, might have Jeff. to take this to Twitter. 
to get do it. Yeah. I was thinking Travel. about, I was thinking about making a, a Thanksgiving Day table tournament and having four categories, main course, dessert, and then I think we need two side dish brackets. Because there are that many good side dishes Dude, on Thanksgiving. Put this together. I will. We'll do this. We'll do this for sure. All right. Mackie and Judd with Rami, Score North and the Score North app. And when we come back, the Vikings with an amazing comeback win yesterday. Full coverage on scorenorth.com. Down 20 to nothing, but plenty to nitpick. It's our weekly Vikings and broadcast nitpicks when we come back.